You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to Half Hour with Jeff and Rajee, the podcast where we take a deeper dive into the latest shows, sharing our insights and opinions on the performances, storyline, and everything in between. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the new Broadway musical Days of Wine and Roses, featuring the incredible talents of Kelly O'Hara and Brian Darcy James. Whether you're unable to catch the show in person or you're looking to enhance your experience after seeing it, this episode is for you. And as always, we want to give you the heads up that this episode will contain spoilers. So if you're ready to delve into the heart of this production, stick around with us. I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie, and we're thrilled to be your host for this episode. So without further ado, let's uncork the conversation about Days of Wine and Roses and discuss this new musical on Broadway. Half hour! Welcome, everyone, to a new episode of Half Hour with Jeff and Richie. Today, we're excited to discuss Days of Wine and Roses, a new musical starring Kelly O'Hara and Brian Darcy James, adapted from the 1962 film and original 1958 teleplay. The musical portrays a couple's journey of falling in love in the 1950s New York and their internal struggles to build a family. With a book by Craig Lucas, music and lyrics by Adam Gettle, based on the play by J.P. Miller, Days of Wine and Roses takes the audience on a captivating exploration of love, family, and the human spirit. Directed by Michael Greif, features choreography by Carla Puno Garcia and Sergio Trulla. Wow. So there's your little overview there. So before we uh, get into this uh, deep dive of the show, we each should kind of start out with a bold statement about the piece and then let's see how this unfolds into our discussion so yeah why don't you go first with your bold statement okay my bold (laughs) statement to start this off is the days of wine and roses was a great movie Mm -hmm. the story and the plot work really well live on stage with two incredible actors portraying really difficult subject matter and yet I don't understand at all why this was musicalized in the way that it was. And I, lo- I won't say all, but a lot of this music didn't really work for me. Maybe maybe 80%. Unfortunately, it's quite high. Um, that's basically my statement of the piece overall. Okay. <laughs> What's uh, your statement? <laughs> okay, so mine... I feel that my bold statement for Days of Wine and Roses is that it's a musical that had all of the right components, but somehow completely missed the mark. Mm, interesting. Okay. Well, those are two yeah. different statements, kind of semi- saying similar things, but different things. Yes. So, so now, we should dive in. So now we're going to dive into that because we're going to go right into the plot, the concept and genre here. So how does this show's plot and musical genre work and not work? Well... It was a almost screenshot by screenshot replication of the film in terms of exactly what happens in the greenhouse, exactly what happens in the hotel bed, exactly what happens on the docks, right? Mm-hmm. Almost to a T. So when someone like Craig Lucas is adapting the book and you get the rights, I don't, I'm not saying you had to completely change it and like throw us off, but maybe you could have added some more in-depth backstory on, maybe we could have had a moment where we learned a little bit more about Kelly O'Hara's father and her mother and then even um brian darcy james's parents who had bad maybe we have a moment there maybe we see more of them with the kids maybe there's something else going on than just an exact cut copy and paste of the film Mm -hmm. so but but i will say that the plot works 
the way in which we see them unwind and unravel and then they get themselves together and they think they're okay and then they collapse again and then it really collapses the ups and down roller coaster feeling of that works i just do think that it worked better as a movie um but it did even work on stage with the acting in terms of taking us ebbing and flowing in and out of the emotions of this I do say it worked. I just thought there could have been some more creativity. If I was given the rights to a musical, I would probably want to say, okay, or a movie, I'd probably want to say, okay, let me keep that. Let me change that. Let me keep that. Let me change that. Let me keep that. Let me change that. Instead of like, well, let's just replicate this. Because that's when, unfortunately, it felt like from a plot perspective. Yeah, I feel like with this plot, you're given such great material already. And I'm trying to understand why we didn't dive a little bit deeper into kind of perfecting that material so because it's already done so well in the film and then we're now moving into the musical and we're adding a music a musical feature to this which is song and dance even though there wasn't too much dance um it seems like there was a missed opportunity there for me so everyone if you know days of wine and roses it's about two people falling in love who end up becoming extremely addicted to alcohol and that they have these addictive personalities which we kind of know from the beginning especially when kelly o'hara's character you kind of know is addicted to chocolate in the beginning of the show and that's how brian's character gets um her into alcohol in the first place and they're kind of so infatuated with each other but they're obsessed with drinking together versus being obsessed with each other just in love so i find like the opportunity here was to really kind of expand on addiction and for me they kind of wanted to go down the road of like each of them had trauma in their life and maybe that's why they have an addictive personality but they kind of let it fall flat on the floor because you didn't really walk out of that theater saying, oh, okay, I'm supposed to feel that way now. Right? I mean... Well, you're trying to show what alcoholism can do to people's lives and you're dealing with this subject matter. But it was almost like, were you trying to teach the audience something? Were you trying... Was this a love story? Sure. Was this a... Was this to prove something to beat you over the head with a message? Was this to... Was this to music... Like... I think musicalizing something as difficult of this as this is tough because you don't want it to come across as camp, but you don't want it to come across as like horror, right? Like it's really tough because like when you're dealing with this, you're like, okay, like there's a part of me that's like, maybe this should have just been a play with underscored music because like, how do you choreograph them dancing, you know, and showing it. And there was some awkwardy kind of cringy moments not because of the material, but because of what horrible things are happening on stage and what sadness alludes to this. So I think that you're right in the sense that they're trying to do so many things and you're like, but what was the point of this? Was the point to just put the music, the movie on stage? Was the point to teach people about alcoholism? Was the point to people to put a love story on stage? Was it all three? Well, I don't think we should be leaving the theater asking ourselves those questions around this because... It should, the concept really should be kind of fleshed out here. And I don't think it was mm -hmm. because if you're taking something with a serious matter like addiction, then what we're trying to get from it should be understood. Mm. Don't you agree? 
So then do you feel like the concept was fully fleshed out in terms of putting lighting, costumes, scenery, orchestrations, direction? Did all of that work? Or what did work maybe and what didn't? Well, I think it had everything to work, but it didn't work. Mm. I hate Mm. having to say that, but it had everything to work and it didn't. Well, the way I look at it was I actually did really like the costumes. I thought they were very period in the wigs. Um, I don't know how much I liked the orchestra up there. If we're going to go really like traditional musical theater, maybe they should have been in the pit and you should have just left. Like there was a lot of visual with the orchestra. They weren't really hidden up there. So it was kind of like this, like put the orchestra like rent in the scaffolding. And I was like, I know the music is such a presence, but the music should have, in my opinion, should have lived through audio and not visual. And I don't say that about every show because some shows, I think it's great to see a band or an orchestra live on stage for this. I don't know if it was needed as much. Also the set design in some ways really worked. I actually loved the neon signs. I loved the water in the front and the reflection of the water. Um, Mm -hmm. the, The transition from scene to scene kind of worked at times. At times it was a little clunky, but at times it, I did, see it flow um what didn't seem to work to me was the expansion of ensemble and i want to say i did um i will say the ensemble did a nice job i thought there was some nice moments like um i actually went to michigan with olivia hernandez so shout out to her i did some theater studies there with her and she was playing a lot of different characters up there but i think what was interesting to me is could this have been just a two-person show with the dad and the sponsor and the little girl and maybe not the other four or five people did we try to expand this with ensemble because we felt like we needed to? I don't know. Like when Grey Gardens came to Broadway, I think that was just two people. You know, that some shows can can actually work with just two people or four people. It's even musical theater. So I don't know. There was just well, I, that's where. Know, I th- but I think that's where we're getting into. Like, what was the more powerful takeaway on this versus like what was just trying to kind of hit the musical theater boxes. And I feel like with this show, they were doing a lot of let's hit the musical theater boxes instead of just like being more artistic and being an art piece. But, but, okay, well, well, I'll, I'll push back a little bit on that because the score is not a traditional score. The score is not, let's put a tap dance in, let's put a love ballad in, let's put a comedy number because that's hitting the boxes of a lot of musical theater. The score was art piece. The score, if I listened to it in a concert setting or like in a, in a workshop setting, I would like, oh, this is nice. It was beautiful. Like there were some moments that was like, oh my gosh, the orchestration, this are stunningly gorgeous. But to me, it wasn't necessarily the orchestrations as it was the melody line and the lyric that didn't seem to hit with me, especially the lyric. I lost a lot of the words. I couldn't really quite get what they were saying half the time. And the melody was soaring operetta style, but it didn't really 100% hit the mark for me at times. Mm -hmm. But I did like the orchestration. And I think when you see everything as pop rock, pop rock, combo pit band, combo band, and then you see lush full orchestration, original work, you say to yourself, well, maybe the Tony War Committee will honor this with best original score because it is so score-esque, if that makes sense. Yeah, but that's great that we have a great, orchestration happening on this stage but at the same time the lyrics which are supposed to be kind of enhancing the story were completely lost within this whole book Mm. Mm. they didn't add a single thing 
And then I think to like, would this have worked if like Rogers and Hammerstein adapted this with like a love duet and then like a dance ballet? And then like, I'm thinking of the traditional Roger and Hammerstein. And then I'm like, oh, would Stephen Sondheim have done something really dark with this? Kind of like he did with so many dark pieces that he wrote. I don't know. It wasn't this specific composer or was it just like throw the idea of making this a musical in the garbage and just put this on stage as a straight play? Yeah, you know, Maybe. I just feel like what I would have done differently if I was given this opportunity to work here, it would have been that take what you are inspired from, from the original story here, from the either the play or the movie, whichever you saw and say, oh, OK, I want to kind of expand on that point because the other parts of this are already great. Now let's expand on it. And if we were going to expand on these two characters and the trauma that they've experienced in their life, let's focus on that and then let's expand on it. And how I would have done that differently was I would have made those two the only two people that sing throughout this whole show. And they are only singing when they are madly intoxicated with each other and by alcohol. Mm. I think that would have came across so much more powerful than what we got here because you would have understood, oh, okay, here we go. And the lyrics then would have aligned with what's happening there. And instead, we had weird moments with the daughter and the father and the sponsor that just seemed out of place. Well, there was also, interestingly enough, when you're dealing with this very difficult subject matter, there were people in the audience sitting around us who must have not known what this was about mm-hmm. and were, were like gasping at times. I will, you know, it, what the creative team may have dealt with in their own personal life with alcohol addiction, whether them personally or family members, mm-hmm. that is something that could have been brought to the table here. And I'm sure they had long discussions in their rehearsal rooms about that and how to portray this appropriately. It is difficult. And of course, maybe it took, maybe that's why it took as long as it did to get this difficult subject matter to musicalize on stage. Adam Gettle, as many of us know, is Mary Rogers' son, Richard Rogers' grandson. So there's a family legacy here of musical theater writing. Um, right. Richard Rogers and Mary Rogers wrote very different style musical theater. Adam writes very different than his mother and grandfather did. Of course. So, and like this whole this whole show is kind of like a Broadway royalty team and cast. Who among the team and the cast really stand out for you? We'll be right back. Welcome back. I I, <laughs> I think I think you know Michael Greif, original director of Rent. You know he's done a lot. I did mm-hmm. think there were some nice directorial moments. Um, some parts were a little like, wait, where are we now? What's going on? But some parts I did think flowed. Actually, it was the lighting shifts into different rooms was nice. And I would definitely say that the lighting was like, it was really strong. Um, Ben Stanton did the lighting, um, which was really impressive. Um, to me, it's all about Kelly and Brian. Of course. And if I'm going to say something pretty remarkable about this piece is that it's extremely impressive what they're doing on that stage. They each have moments. I thought Kelly's moment in the greenhouse telling her father that I'm better now and I'm okay. That song was amazing. Brian's moment of song of forgiveness with the, ther- with the uh, sponsor later in the show, incredible vocal moments. The, our, the Kelly's moment in the bed in the hotel, in the motel when she can't compose herself. And, mm-hmm. and then at the very end when she can't stay, 
heartbreaking. I mean, Tony award-winning potential roles here. I mean, with the two of them, they're, they're the reason why this was, I think, pretty good in, in that way. Um, of was course. them too. I do agree with you. I think for the obvious reason, the two of them and their chemistry together was great. Do I feel like they may have leaned a little bit on the older side here for these roles? Potentially. Only because I feel like it needed to feel a little bit more younger and fresh here, especially with having the daughter at the age that she is. It just seemed a little bit like, okay, we just need to have Kelly and Brian do these roles and we don't really care their age in, in this whole thing. I kind of felt like Kelly and Brian kind of maybe were too similar in age and there wasn't mm. a big enough gap there. But that being said, I do think what they are doing on that stage is great. I thought Kelly as well, her scene in the motel was, you know, chilling. And other than that, you know, they're given what they're given. So we, and they're kind of really slaying what they're given. Yeah. And it's, and it also is a commentary on when so much musical theater is belting rock pop. Uh, and a lot of the young musical theater performers coming out of schools today are not doing as much of the um, If I Loved You from Carousel in their book, and they're doing more of the pop belting. Can you belt? Can you belt? Can you riff? Can you riff? Can you belt? Can you riff? Can you belt? And can you riff? And so how many Kelly O'Hara's at 25 years old are coming out and can, and, and, and doing, can handle this score? I know they're out there. I went to school with people who can sing operetta style, you know, the Victoria Clarks, Kelly O'Hara's, that, that Audra McDonald, uh, for sure, that beautiful style of singing. Mm -hmm. And in the 50s and the 60s, you saw both in the 70s. And the 80s. Now we're seeing like everything on Broadway is like, and like, that's not this. So maybe, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here, maybe there was like, a, if I'm Adam and, and Michael and these people who wrote Craig, and maybe they said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to use the most seasoned, lit, legit, they call it legit style singing. And when you can do that operetta, um, vibrato, maybe they were going to find the Bryans and the Kellys, not saying young people can't because there are so many young people who can. And I wish they were discovered more and given more chances because it's like, can you belt your face off or can you not? That's kind of what like getting into heart of rock and roll, back to the future, uh, all these things are. And so, and, and so I'm just wondering like, Kelly is working all the golden age musical theater roles in all these revivals year after year after year because she's so good at it. Audra too. Well, it's so, interesting that you bring up golden age because this would kind of, the film of this falls during the golden age. Yeah. Ish, right? It's the 60s? Yeah, this the film, film came out in the 60s, yep. So it's interesting that this kind of has that golden age-ness to it. I guess my only thing with the whole legit portion of kelly's work in this show how much of that do you feel was warranted for that character to be singing like that the whole time to me it's like a composer thing because he wrote like the piazza for victoria clark and and kelly o'hara so it's like almost like did he write it for her which a lot of composers do so right, it's kind talking, of like i'm talking more about the character does that character? Well, I definitely don't think the character belts, <laughs> but okay. but I, I definitely think that there was so much of that operetta style, legit style singing. Maybe she could have had more of like a breakdown moment, like a. Uh, I think like, there's something to be said about if 
when she's pure and not intoxicated, that seemed more of a, a, a moment for it to be legit. But as we go through the piece, where was her real raw breakdown moment? She's now extremely sexual. She's kind of beaten up by the fact that she is an alcoholic now. And I don't know if that ever got to me other than her acting scene. Mm. Vocally, I never felt hurt by her. Mm. To me, there was a moment, I and and this is probably not the greatest thing to say about musical theater versus seeing someone in concert. You know, when you see someone in concert and you're just impressed with like, what are they wearing and what are they singing? How they how good they look? How good they sound? How good they talk to you? You know, I was watching her in this, and halfway through, I was like, oh, I could watch her sing the phone book. I could watch. She could be saying "la" the rest of the show, and I'm just so in love with her voice. And unfortunately, does that work for her? Sure. Does that work for the writing team? Because I zoned out on half of the lyrics and what the character was doing half the time because I was, no joke, sitting like, oh, I'm so lucky to be sitting here watching Claire Howard sing because she's so wonderful at that. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but you should not want that for this. No, I'm, I, that's what I'm saying. is like, if I was sitting at Kelly Harris concert, I'd be like, that'd be okay. But from a book plot perspective, yeah, she's obviously killing it in the acting too, but there was a lot of like, what is she singing when? Like, Brian too. And so even when she went from motel to like trying to get better at her father's to then coming to do that final scene, there was never a real moment where like you saw her like there needed to be the moment of her in the hotel with someone else. Like mm. that she's, you know, sleeping around to get alcohol and money and things like that. Because I think that's an underlining message of the film that she's out and about and she's kind of going down this real bad rabbit hole. And this, I kind of felt like we're left with Kelly O'Hara at the end in a different light that she's better too. And I don't think we're supposed to feel that from this. Well, I remember when we watched the movie and you were like, where do you think she goes? And we don't really know. And this one, same thing. She can't stay. And they kind of focused more on, like, Brian and the daughter trying to rebuild their life together, which is so but, sad. But uh, even I know, like, this is so predictable, but where was she, like, walking out but through the aisle? Mm. Like, obviously, like, oh, okay, but still, wouldn't you have been like, oh, she literally left. And there's so many times where people are actually leaving the theater, like, and we saw it in a doll's house where she right. literally leaves the theater like and you're literally left saying oh my god where did she go mm -hmm. i don't mm -hmm. know there was just it was missing wow moments mm -hmm. and i think it had great moments don't get me yeah, wrong of course yeah i don't I, think it was but, the worst i ever saw but but it was right. missing some wow factors for me especially with what the clear message is of this show so let me talk to you about this for a second this got very mixed reviews Mm -hmm. To the point where the New York Times get a Vika critics pick and said it's amazing. Some reviews were like, a lot of reviews said it was amazing. And then I talked to some people of all different ages too. Some say mm -hmm. it was okay. Some people really didn't like it. Some people have told me they're hearing such mixed things on the score. They don't even know if they're going to go check it out because the ticket prices are expensive. So is this a, is this a, well, I guess my question is, why is this working for some people and some not? Generally, usually the vibe is like, oh my God, everyone likes this or everyone doesn't like this or somewhat of a mix, but this is really mixed. And why do you think that is? We'll be right back. Let's jump back into things. 
is this like bold statement number two on sure. the podcast here? Sure. Because I do think, and I think we touched upon this a little bit as well. I think we're at a stage right now with most of these people in this production here that some of the major PR kind of press around this doesn't want to talk bad about the show, but it's not lining up with the actual fans of Broadway because everyone that I've talked to, I think I've seen maybe one person like it that's not from the media perspective. Everyone else has said, you know, Kelly and Brian are great, but the score is forgettable with the the lyrics are forgettable and you kind of are left wanting more from the show. Mm-hmm. And I think we're being honest with ourselves and we want to hold shows accountable to be at their best. And this had everything to be at its best and it kind of just did not line up there. They're relying on their names for it to be like, oh, it's a good show. That's my bold. That's my bold statement. I might have liked it a little bit more than that only because I did feel things. And I think lush undertones of orchestrations help me feel things in film, help me feel things on stage. And so when there were scenes, when they were talking or hugging or holding each other and the music was playing, I felt things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about it from the lyric perspective, but I think there was things to be felt and I felt for these people. But then again, if I saw Kelly and Brian do a night of Roger and Hammerstein at Carnegie Hall, I would feel things for those two in their love ballads too. Right, but I, I think we have to we have to put aside our our love for certain people on this team and the characters and call it what it really is. And if you love it, you love it. And if mm. you didn't feel much from it and you're trying to force a narrative here, just be honest with it. And what's tough is I wanted to like it more. I went in with these high hopes because Dream Team really talented people i wanted to i wanted to go the extra step more and instead i was like okay i liked it i liked some of it and the rest of it kind of fell flat for me and i said yeah it was an, mm-hmm. an, it was not quite what i thought it had the potential of being you know yeah i think kind of for both brian and kelly they could have got a little bit more nitty dirty gritty with the roles especially we saw two people in a film that went there mm. You had you had two people in a film that were so crazy, but started out so happy and cheery. It almost felt a little too safe by both of them. They're well, was, so great with their chemistry. They're so great with their vocals. They're so great on so many levels, but they just didn't let their hair down a little bit more, I think. Especially when you had moments like um, when he's destroying all the pots in the garden at Greenhouse, and on Broadway, he's like in the dirt. Destroying in the movie, I mean, destroying, 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 and then this was just like it was almost like the stage management told him to throw the pots upstage so they're out of the way for the next scene change. And if you're going to throw them, throw them upstage. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost what it made it look like he had to do so that they weren't all over the place, right? And then if you have real a real pool of water sitting in the front, I wish that was utilized more. Like I couldn't even see until they splashed it once. But like get. Roll the water, get wet, get a little messy here, right? Because we're dealing with some difficult stuff. And it did seem like there was a little bit of a squeaky cleanness to let's not go too far. Let's not push too hard at times. There was, I will say there was a lot of smoking and drinking. They didn't hold back on that. And they really did show the excessive amounts of drinking and smoking. So they did go there with that, I will say. I I agree. Yeah. And one other comment I did want to make quickly, because I know we're getting close to time here, but. 
I love a one-act musical. And I love not being taken out of an element. But I'm sorry for the most biggest part of this show with your rushing character development in the very beginning and you're rushing the connection between the two of them. I didn't ever feel like Kelly was not interested in him. She never played hard to get in the beginning. Mm. And I think that was a very important part to kind of showcase that a little bit more in the writing and taking that moment from the film and that moment from the, the play and say there needed to be a little bit more pushback from her. She gave into temptation way too easy for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For it to make sense later how she tries to bring temptation back to Brian and how Brian now has to resist her temptation. Mm-hmm. And he had a quite an arc because he had to, he, they both changed so much throughout the piece. It's hard. I almost wish the book scenes were a little bit longer without music. So we could have had some more dialogue mm-hmm. and some more talking and some action instead of going, it was like song after. So it was almost a song cycle sung through completely like almost, mm-hmm. um, which is an art choice. It's a choice. Lame is, you know, there's shows that do that. So it's a choice. But go there with it then. If you're going to be almost completely sung through, just continue and go the whole way. Mm, yeah. I think. So. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. Getting ready to wrap up our discussion here. Okay, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Go. I'll continue. Keep saying what I said because I feel like I've aligned with what I said in the beginning, but there was a lot of great moments. It had every right component to be a great show, but it just kind of missed the mark for me. I, I appreciate original scores. I appreciate incredible acting. It's it's interesting. Brian uh, is not a Tony winner yet. Um, I actually wonder if this could be it for him. Th- this could be his win. Maybe. maybe. Um, Kelly has won. She could win too. But I, I got to see what the rest of the season brings. But uh, Brian's pretty pretty inc- incredible what that man does on stage. And her too. So that was the best part for me. Score fell flat. The replication of this from film to stage didn't quite work. Um, but I appreciate the difficult subject matter being brought to light on stage and telling that story in a 2024 year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like a middle of the road for me, unfortunately. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of feel. Right. Well, that does wrap up our discussion on today's episode. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into Days of Wine and Roses. The show is playing until April 28th at Studio 54 in New York City. We will share that link in our description with ticket information for you as well. Yes, and don't forget, we want to hear from you. So continue the conversation with us on Instagram and TikTok at Half Hour Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on Days of Wine and Roses. And if you enjoyed our show, please leave us a review. Your feedback helps us bring more theater to you. Remember, you can listen to past episodes and stay tuned for upcoming ones as well. Until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie saying ta-ta for now. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.